This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, many love the idea of starting a podcast, but find the process intimidating. There is, of course, the level four elective on starting a podcast within Pathways. Now, our guest today says starting a podcast doesn't have to be intimidating. Moreover, she says a podcast can forge a powerful, intimate connection between the host and the listener. Ryan, who are we speaking with today? Our guest today is Tara McMullen. Tara is a writer, podcaster, and producer. She's the author of What Works, a comprehensive framework to change the way we approach goal setting. Tara hosts What Works, a podcast about navigating the 21st century economy with your humanity intact. She's also co-founder of Yellow House Media, a boutique podcast production company. Tara wrote an article in the August 2023 issue of the Toastmaster magazine called Put Your Podcast in Practice. Tara McMullen, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm always excited to have a fellow podcaster on board because Ryan and I can always learn some new tricks. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Tara, in your article, you share that you started your own podcast about 10 years after you listened to your very first podcast episode. Do you remember that first podcast listening experience? Oh, I don't remember the exact episode, but I can tell you that it was definitely an episode of the uh, companion podcast to Battlestar Galactica that was hosted by the showrunner, Rondi Moore. It was still the time when you had to download a podcast episode from iTunes. And then from iTunes, you transferred it to your iPod. And so it was this whole process to listen to a podcast back then. But I loved Battlestar Galactica enough to go through that whole process to listen to Ron Moore talk about each episode. Obviously, it was a positive experience. And I'm curious to find out, fast forward a decade later, What was your aha moment for starting your podcast or did the idea of stepping into your own podcast sort of grow over time? I would say it definitely grew over time, but I was super intimidated by the idea of getting a podcast underway. I had done some experimentation with an audio project a couple years before my actual podcast started and it did not go well. (laughs) I realized (laughs) I did not have the skills at that time to do what I envisioned doing. And that's always really frustrating for me. Like if I have an idea of, you know, how something's going to turn out and I, I want it to be a certain way, but I haven't yet developed the skill for it and it just doesn't work out. It's very difficult for me to deal with. So Mm. when I was thinking more and more about starting a podcast, I happened to be in sort of a partnership with a company called Creative Live, who I was doing video classes for. It was very much like this full-featured multimedia experience on the viewer end, and they had just an incredible wealth of, of resources and expertise. And 
as I thought more and more and more about starting a podcast, it dawned on me, wait, I wonder if they would also like to start a podcast. And so the podcast that I host today initially was a partnership between that company and me. It really, for me, required being able to just focus on hosting the podcast instead of you know, doing the, the production and the editing and the distribution. I didn't have to do any of that. And that put me in a much better position to feel confident saying, yes, I'm going to do this. I could handle the role that I was in at that time. You use the word partnership. And again, that goes back to that opening statement that I gave in the open. And I'm really curious to find out a little bit more about your statement where you said, a podcast can forge a powerful, intimate connection between host and listener. Can you tell us a little bit more about that philosophy? Yeah. So podcasting is this fascinating medium where our voices on typically, hopefully, good microphones, which make our voices sound even richer and more present than they might even in person, goes right into the ears of the people who listen. And there's actual research. I wish I could give you the study or the researcher who looked at this, but there is actual research that sort of headphone to brain connection that happens with a podcast does create a relationship between the listener and the podcaster much faster than visual mediums like video or photography or writing. It's not that those media aren't intimate. It just takes more time and you have to you know, sort of immerse yourself in them a little bit longer. But with a podcast, it's immediate. That sense that someone is talking straight to you happens so fast and so deeply. I think people are probably getting to be more familiar with the term parasocial relationship, but that essentially means these relationships that we have with people who seem really familiar to us because their voice is piped directly into our ears or because we watch them on YouTube or TikTok every day or we see their posts about their families on Instagram. We develop this sense of relationship with them. And there's positives to that. There's a whole bunch of negatives to that. But I think on the podcasting side, it is almost entirely upside. And it's a really powerful way to tell your story, to share information or ideas, to talk with friends and have a more talk show vibe. It just is a great medium for that. And the sort of relationship that it can create between you and your ideas and the people that you actually want to hear those ideas. So with podcasting, the voices in your head is actually a good thing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I like to think. <laughs> Tara, you're, you're giving me this flashback to a podcast I was listening to several years ago where the hosts were in tears on an episode sharing because the wife um, lost her baby. Uh, before the baby was born and they were sharing this news with the community. And I can remember riding the train with tears streaming down my cheeks because I felt so connected to these people and felt like I really did know them and was invested in their lives. Um, never really thought about 
I guess, the intimacy of having that audio pumped right into my ears and right into my brain. But it does illuminate something else you say in your article. You say that listening to a podcast can turn a chore like folding laundry into a cherished activity. And that really resonates with me. When I bring the trash down our driveway once a week, we've got this 300-something foot long driveway. So it's a bit of a chore. (laughs) Inevitably, I put in the earbuds and use that time to continue listening to an episode. It's also when I change the litter for our rabbits. We have two pet rabbits. I put in the earbuds and it like makes this thing that might be otherwise torturous something enjoyable. I hate doing chores. I'm a terrible chore person. But as you say, like pop those earbuds in. And now I don't really care what I'm doing because I'm being transported into a story or into an idea or into just a great conversation that I'm super interested in. My husband will joke all the time that if I'm not working, you know, in front of the computer, I have my earbuds in. So folding laundry, doing dishes, making dinner, uh, cleaning the cat litter, for sure. I've got my earbuds in and I'm constantly listening. I just love to listen to podcasts. Like I really am (laughs) as obsessed with podcasting as I seem. But for me too, it's also... I don't think I mentioned this in the article, but I'm autistic. And so for me, podcasting and also putting in the earbuds is a really great coping strategy for me. I get to sort of dial in all of the sensory stimulation that's around me, eliminate a lot of that through the headphones. And then I also get this sort of pseudo social experience that I don't owe anything to, right? Like my experience on a day-to-day basis is if someone's talking to me, I owe them something. I owe them eye contact. I owe them a smile. I owe them, you know, all of these things that are that are often very difficult for me and require a lot of effort. And so I avoid those kinds of things. But with a podcast, I get that social experience without feeling like I'm responsible for this, that, or the other thing as part of a conversation. And it's obviously, it's not a substitute. And I still talk to people. I, I try to talk to my husband every day. But it's a really, it's a, it's a perfect escape mechanism for me and coping mechanism. And also a way to get part of what other people get out in the rest of the world. But for just me in my own head, listening to the things that I really care about. I walk every day and, of course, I listen to podcasts, other podcasts, and also our podcast to see what we did well and where where we can improve. So we were talking about listening. So let's shift a little bit to creating. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is often when you talk to people about creating their own podcast, the biggest hurdle they seem to have is the technical aspect. It's too techy. It's too complicated. But in the article, you say that the hurdle is not in the technical but rather in a creative. And I'm curious how you perceive that. Oh, my goodness. This was such a lesson that uh, we learned when we started our podcast production agency. When we started to work with other podcasters, what we noticed was that, one, they had absolutely no idea how podcasts get out into the world (laughs) and like what makes a podcast actually function. 
um, once we say, you know what, you don't even really need to worry about it because we're going to take care of that for you, they sort of take a deep breath and relax. But then we get into the work of actually making the podcast. And that's where we run into the big challenges, even with seasoned content creators. Um, And so what I mean by those challenges is the sort of relentless practice pace of podcasting. Whether you're releasing an episode every week, every other week, even once a month, that constant need to be working on the next thing is present for everyone. So no matter what frequency you're releasing, it's just that sort of consistency that really, really trips people up. And yet, I think that consistency, the practice of podcasting, is also what makes it such a powerful creative tool. Because Greg, as you said, you can listen and see what you did well one episode and put that immediately into place in the next episode, right? You learn every single time you move through the process. That's what, to me, makes it so powerful from a creative perspective. But for the kinds of people that we work with who I don't think are unusual in any way, that level of consistency is a real challenge. They're used to the experience of urgency. They're used to kind of flying by the seat of their pants. And here they are working with us, a production company, and feeling like they literally don't know how to keep that cycle turning over and over again. And I don't think any of them would mind me saying that because they're they're all very conscious of it. I empathize with that for sure, but it's the one thing that I think, it's the one thing I wish podcasters thought more about before they got started, but also that it the one thing that they would really commit to as part of the podcasting process. Because everything else, you can find a tool that's going to make it easy for you. You can find a tool that makes editing easy, a tool that makes recording easy, that makes distribution easy. Those tools all exist. It's not hard. But committing to the consistency of it is a real challenge for people. By and large, most of us don't have that kind of consistency of practice in their regular workday. Now, that's interesting because I'm thinking Ryan and I, cumulatively, we've been podcasting for over three decades. Like both of us started in the early 2000s. I think I started in 2006, Ryan, I think maybe a year later. And we are always trying to find ways to improve or tweak what we're doing. So you mentioned a couple of times, and it's also in the article, this concept of the practice of podcasting. So can you perhaps maybe just give us a sort of 30,000 foot view of what that looks like? Yeah. So when I use the word practice, I use it like you know, you'd have a meditation practice or a yoga practice or a reading practice, a writing practice, a knitting practice, right? We have these activities that we do because they give us a sense of grounding, a sense of presence, a sense of attention. 
I find those things, again, as an autistic person, incredibly valuable. And I seek out ways that I can turn uh, different parts of my life into a sense of practice, having this presence and groundedness and attention in the work that I'm doing and how I can put those things on repeat so I get to have that experience over and over again. So practice in terms of podcasting is recognizing that there is a commitment to consistency and that that commitment to consistency is in your best interest, that by having this activity that you come back to on a regular basis without fail, that you approach with presence and groundedness and attention every time you do it, that you carve out time and space for, that that's what helps you make a product that you feel really satisfied by. And so in my book, I talk about, and in the article, I talk about the way that practice leads to satisfaction. And satisfaction, I think, especially around creative pursuits, but around all sorts of work-related pursuits and just life in general is so fleeting, so elusive. We're constantly like, oh, I didn't do that well enough, or am I good enough for this, or do I have enough of that? In all of these different forms, I try to help people think about how am I doing this in a way that's going to be satisfying? And practice for me is the number one way that I can create that feeling of satisfaction, not just when the episode ships, but whenever I open up my recording software, whenever I do an interview, whenever I'm doing editorial planning. If I'm approaching that with the kind of, of presence and attention that I have committed to do it, I will feel satisfied by the result, even if the result is, you know, I don't know what I want to cover <laughs> next month, but I've thought <laughs> about it for an hour. That really shifts the game for me so that I'm not coming to the practice thinking, am I being the best podcaster I could possibly be? Or am I going to increase my downloads this month? I'm instead asking myself, Am I doing this in a way that makes me satisfied, that meets my expectations for my performance and my practice? Am I paying attention in the moment to what I'm doing and making sure that as I do it, I'm doing it in a way that's satisfying? For me, that's the key to creating with consistency so that even when Maybe you don't have a great episode or your downloads do dip. You still feel really good about the effort that you put into it. And not only is that good for the show, but it's good for you personally. It is so valuable to have an activity that you approach in that way. And podcasting is just a perfect vehicle for that kind of approach. I'm thinking on how this can apply to just about anything. I'm thinking back to 2014 when I was in a humorous speech competition. And of course, I had to practice and rehearse the same speech. I went to various clubs to practice it, and it actually became a monotony. But if mm -hmm. I had applied this concept, then perhaps I would have enjoyed being in the moment each time I actually delivered that speech. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Tara, as I hear you talk about a practice, although I understand it's not so much about the goal as it is the journey, if it's fair mm -hmm. to say it that way, it, it does seem that there's this 
evolutionary process that takes place. Now, I was listening to recent episodes of your What Works podcast, and you're putting together a highly sophisticated, I'd call it journalistic production. You've got the writing, the scripting, the interview excerpts, the background music, sound effects. It reminds me a lot of what I hear on national public radio in the States. I'm guessing you didn't start there. So my question is, can you share about the evolution of your show, both in terms of your voice as the host, as well as the format? Yes, I love talking about this. So no, absolutely. My show did not sound like it sounds today in 2015. Far, far, far from it. For the first, what is it? 350 episodes or so. It was purely an interview show. What I found was, again, through this practice and through really thinking about the consistency piece of it, was that every time I sat down to go through another batch of episodes, there was some tweak that I could make to make it a little bit better that next time. So for instance... Early on, I had a canned intro, a canned outro, and then I'd read the the guest's bio before we actually inserted the interview. So it'd be canned intro, bio, interview, canned outro. That was the format for, I don't know, the first 50 episodes or so. So then I started to shift into writing a custom intro for every episode. They started off probably in like the 300 word range. I write long form and I have a really hard time not writing long form. Quickly, my intros would be a good 10, 15 minutes. So like a thousand to 1500 words, right? And then we'd get into the intro and people really responded to that. So I did that for a long time, a long stretch. And then maybe toward the end of 2021, I started noticing that some of the conversations that I really wanted to have with people didn't work as straight interviews because I had ideas or you know interventions that I wanted to make in the course of the show that just didn't work live in an interview. So that's when I started thinking about like, okay, what if I, you know, scripted a little interstitial here, scripted a little interstitial there, and just kind of moved things around so that the narrative arc of any given episode was clearer and that I was able to communicate what I really wanted to communicate. And I think, you know, to your question of like my part of the evolution too, is that I started to understand that my role as host was not just to ask questions, but that those questions were informing a larger narrative. And that if I could really get clear ahead of time, and then also after an interview on what that narrative was going to be, that I could reshape an episode so that it was as legible as possible to the audience so that they knew why I was talking to this person, what I wanted them to hear, and what I was thinking about as this episode was going on. So it started with just some experimentation a couple of years ago. And then at the beginning of 2022, I had had some changes in business happen and I had some time on my hands. And I was like, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to try committing to, as you said, the sort of NPR style, the public radio style narrative podcasting format. And I was really nervous about it. I thought, I'm going to give it a try for a month. 
if it's taking too much time after a month or if I don't like it, I don't want to continue with it. That's fine. Like I, I will give myself a pat on the back for doing it and I'll go back to the old way. But I was hooked. I was hooked from within the first couple of episodes of giving it a try. And I think it's only gotten better since then. But to your point, it was absolutely not something that I could have accomplished in 2015, even though those were the kinds of shows that I loved listening to. I love public radio. I love Radio Lab. I love This American Life. I love just all of those shows that create such immersive audio experiences. And I have always wanted to do that, but never had the skill set to do it. And so once I finally had some space to develop that skill set and apply the years of listening to these shows that I then had under my belt, it was the natural next step. And so I would say also that that evolution as a host has progressed as well to the point where today... I think of my podcast episodes as audio essays. So my writing style is very much an, an essayist style. And that's what I'm applying to the podcast as well. But using the tools that I have in audio that I don't have in writing, right? Like I, I send out every podcast episode that I have also as a written essay. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, just listen to this one. So you can hear this excerpt and this piece of music and the way that I lined the beat up on this particular phrase, right? Like <laughs> those are the tools that I have now that make me really happy and that I think really make an episode come together. I just think one of my earliest memories of listening to a show on national public radio and the person is going to a school to investigate something and you can hear the gravel crunching under her feet as she's walking up to the entrance of the school and it just felt so immersive and that's what really hooked me. Yeah. Yeah. So same. Like the those kinds of sounds, the the sort of imagining of the environment is mm. so fascinating to me and addicting to like really thinking about it. I did an episode earlier this year with a woman, a, a tech founder who moved her family from a big house in Texas back to Canada where she's from and is now living on a working farm. I had so much fun putting that episode together, right? We recorded it remotely. I wasn't there, but my goal was to make it sound like I was that NPR reporter rolling into the gravel driveway, being met by the ducks and the geese and the sheep. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It was just so much fun to put together. And it's, I think it's, Creatively, it's such a liberating experience to know that if I can imagine it, I can find a, a sound that makes it come to life in a really fun way. Now, we don't want to scare everybody off because no, what, you've I know. Just, <laughs> what you've just presented is the latest Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 movie, when most people will probably start with a YouTube selfie. <laughs> yes. Stick figure drawing. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I was going to ask you, how long does it take to produce something like this? I mean, it's probably extraordinary. And how do you find the time and balance with all your other podcasts that you do? 
Well, I am lucky that my husband is really the one that runs the show at Yellow House Media. And so I basically get called on as more of like a consulting producer. Like I get asked about, should we cover this topic? How would you interview this person? What's something fun that we can do with the audio here? And all of those shows are interview shows or solo shows. They are not done in the same style as mine. So I have a lot of time. I consider myself a full-time writer and podcaster. And so this is my job. And yeah, a a 45-minute episode is going to be about a 7,000-word script. So that takes a lot of time to write. Then there's the recording and the editing. Often, I would say I'm putting... 20 to 30 hours into an episode. And it is 100% not what I would recommend for anyone (laughs) wanting to start a podcast. And even if you're a seasoned podcaster and you have other stuff going on, probably not what you want to be doing. Interview shows are wonderful. I listen to a lot of interview shows in addition to listening to more highly produced or highly edited shows. I think that in and of itself is a really valuable format. I think that learning how to interview, again, is a challenge that a lot of people don't anticipate, you know, kind of circling back to sort of where we started. But it is a really valuable skill to have. And being able to craft an episode rather than just a series of questions is a skill that you're not going to have it at the very beginning, but it's absolutely one that you can develop and probably in pretty short order, especially if you're a podcast listener too. So you can kind of hear and apply or, you know, a solo show. You know, this is the Toastmasters podcast. If you're working on a talk, if you are getting used to just the sound of your own voice, a solo podcast is great. And there are little things. If you want to play with sort of the the style that I do without doing what I do, there are little things that you can play with that don't require 20 hours of your time. So I am so fully supportive of minimalist, simple shows that invest more time and energy and thought into making a great episode because of the content and the story and the experience of the thing than I am about the bells and the whistles and the jump cuts and the edits and the you know found audio and things like that. <laughs> so you're going to take time to become the next Sofia Coppola. Yeah. But folks, if you want to get started, there is the level four podcasting elective in Pathway. So that's probably a good place to start. This has been quite enlightening hearing this journey. And folks, I really encourage each and every one of you to share this episode with your family and friends and fellow Toastmasters. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you find your podcasts. Brian. Tara, two final questions before we let you go. I am sure... People are listening to this, hearing your passion for how much you put into your podcast and how much you love the medium that listeners are wanting to know how they can find and listen to the What Works podcast. So if you could answer that, as well as those that maybe want to try their hand at creating a podcast and would like to find out 
what it would take to get some help from Yellow House Media to do the heavy lifting on the tech side. So you can find the What Works podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or at whatworkspodcast.com. And as I mentioned, I also release every episode as a written essay too, and that's at whatworks.fyi. With Yellow House, you can go to yellowhouse.media and all of the information on our services is there. But if you go to the articles page, there is also a huge article that I wrote on getting started with podcasting that lays out... Some of the technical stuff, for sure, but it also speaks to a lot of the editorial and creative process stuff that I talked about today that I believe is really important from a not only a strategic perspective, but like developing your satisfying podcast practice perspective. So again, that's yellowhouse.media. And folks, don't forget to check out Tara's article, Put Your Podcast Into Practice in the August 2023 issue of the Toastmaster magazine. Tara McMullen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, we've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.